Warning, the following content contains sounds. Some sapients of Homo have episodic memories with undesired correlation sensations with particular sounds depending upon their mood and personalities. Although many attach their identities with notions and actions, the mockery that is included in here is directed towards the latter two and not the first. Having said that, hello, welcome to Correlation Sensations, a show where I talk about your mother's mammalian protuberances. Yes, yes. Mm. Here is some chicken noodle soup for your ear holes, and if you're gluten-free, you can go fuck up. In these trying times with the coronavirus outbreak, we're gonna be extra sensitive when we comment about this. We are about ready to do another episode for Plato. That's right, if you haven't had enough of that motherfucker, it's too bad because we're covering the Republic by Plato. Unfortunately, Void has a respiratory infection. Oh-oh. Where is that announcer, son of a bitch? I told that motherfucker not to talk about him. He is my precious voile. How dare you say that? Uh-oh. Don't you tell me you weren't sarcastic. I tell you what, you bastard. I'm going to cut your meninges off and feed them to you. Cut the... Oh, it's a recording. God damn it, I got to stop doing that. Hello. This moment... The coronavirus outbreak has made me come to realization I need to push harder on my running for president. That is right. Nobody could have possibly have defeated the coronavirus except for me. Unlike all the politicians, I have a capability of speaking with the subatomic particles and also viruses in all those other little pesky pests that run around your body. Ho 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 ho, you filthy ape people. I mean, we filthy ape people, yes. And I will become your root, I mean, your friend in the president, yes. Because I am the best and nobody's as good as I am. <laughs> oh, yes. And to prove it, Right now, I am going to talk to none other than the leader named Coronavirus. Oh, yes, believe it or not, I don't care. This is the truth. No lies here. No reason to lie. I'm just running for president. There's no reason why I would possibly say something that is not true. No, anyways, here is the Coronavirus. Greetings. Oh, that sounds pretty menacing there. So, this is my voice. That's not a very nice-sounding voice. I don't care about sounding nice. Oh, you don't? No. I'm going to consume 3% of all your souls. <laughs> now, that's not a very good boy. How about I tell you what? I give you half the population to infect... And then you leave the old folks alone? No. Why not? Because I am meant for population control. Because uh, your species has become a complete infection on this planet. How dare you talk about us like that? Oh, don't you try to fool all those humans. Quark, 
Why is that, Karama? Because I know better. You seem wiser than I thought for a virus, yes? Microscopic microphone on a little booger. That's right. I have a sample of the virus right here in my own hands. And I am not infected because I know how to handle it. Unlike Void, who got infected because he misguided himself into thinking that the auger plate was nothing more than a piece of a wafer to eat, fool. You can go now. Oh, wait. One second. What do you want? I want to tell you. I am going to give you great gifts. If you promise to leave these humans alone, I am trying to control the masses for the overlords. Oh, that sounds very good. Yes, I know. Imagine being in control of their tiny little brains. Ape people with a metaphorical bananas. Yes. Oh, hey, I got a good idea for you, Gork. What is that, coronavirus? How about you tell them you're going to build the wall? Oh, that's a good idea. That is a great one, Corona. Yes, that is a very good. And what you could do is take all the plastic in the ocean and use it to build the wall. Oh, even better. And we could compromise with all the people who are on the left and all the people on the right. We will have doors for admission for anybody but the booby traps. Yes, that's a good idea, coronavirus. Yes, booby traps for all those are bad, nasty, what they call, gang members. You sound more like me moment to moment. Why is that? I have no idea. Maybe you should go away before you blow my cover, you little bastard. Okay. Oh, yes. I know you might be missing Void, so I'm going to give him a little ring-a-ding-ding. There we go. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voicemail. I told him I would call, but he doesn't care enough for you. Wait, I shouldn't have said that. He's supposed to be my VP. God damn it. Anywho, let's get down to business. Since all the void left us hanging there. Hope he's okay. I hope he doesn't have the actual coronavirus. Perhaps he just uh, psychosomatically put that in his head, yeah? Okay. <coughs> oh. I meant to be coming down with that to myself. Oh, that couldn't be good. Oh. God damn it. From what I understand regarding this book is that it's more like a series of books, <laughs> which is the second largest document attributed to the sapien of the Homo named Plato. It is much like Phaedrus. It's very similar to a play, you know, where it's merely just a discourse piece. But instead of just two individuals, there's multiple. Mm -hmm. 
Some sapiens of the Homo have titled this book as ingenious, ooh, like a marvelous thing, a work of art, showing more than just a simple reflection of which it is on opinions. Yes, it almost seems like a work done by an autobiographer, hmm? If Socrates was his own autobiographer, which makes sense because autobiography is indicating that it is by the individual for the biography, which is not at all a conflict of interest. Good thing we have someone who really, really, really liked a Socrates named Plato who wrote it, yes. This book, called The Republic, where Socrates is the narrator, there's also one named Polymarchus, one named Syphilis, or Cephalus, or some people call him Cephalus. Mm -hmm. Then Thrasymachus, some call him Thrasymachus. Then Ad Adamantius, yes. Then Lysias, Euthydemus. Then Charmat Charmatuba. Yeah, Charmatuba, no. Charmantides, and Clytophon, and Glaucon. Mm hmm. These sound a lot like people up on the ship of hovering over your heads. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. I should uh, delete that now, really quick. And uh, wow, I found out that so fucking podcast covered an incident which me and the Void incidentally uh, left our ship in the wrong place and blasted off. And uh, some reason, people were not uh, mesmerized by our uh, photonic stramatota, yes, photonic stramatota, and that, that was uh, supposed to erase their memories, and unfortunately, uh, that event was documented. Hmm. Perhaps I should edit that out. But anywho, they uh, commented on us, and they said, oh, yep, uh, Dave was speaking just like they do, and I said, you bastards, out there, you say we speak like that, make us sound stupid or something. Anywho, when I go into this, yeah, that's nice. Uh, they also have forgotten to mention an insignificant name for the servant, which is like one of the first people who speaks in the book with Socrates. Mm hmm. Kind of funny how a servant is all of a sudden insignificant. Not a name mentioned whatsoever, even though they take care of a lot of parts of. None other than Polymarchus's life. Not a rich boy who does not care to mention the damn servant's name. Well, perhaps it's Socrates that forgot to mention that name, but nonetheless, he has left as one of the ones who are just and the left unnamed, unworshipped, in the poor, piss poor, like a damn donkey inside the, the, the farmhouse. Yep. Socrates begins with describing a new type of festival honoring a female bologna sandwich named the goddess. I think the name is like Bondis or something. Mm, yeah, it was described as a far beyond satisfactory for Socrates. Yep. Glaucon walked side by side with Socrates, and Socrates had his cloak grabbed by the informant, which was a servant, for Polymarchus. And he told him to wait for Polymarchus for a conversation that would ensue. This would bring on a whole array of uh, different uh, subsequent moments of uh, arguments and conversations, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, 
Glaucon's brother was uh, along with Polymachus, along with all these other people like Nisaretus or Nicias, and um, yep, others that weren't initially named as well for these uh, gathering for a close conversation. The first words seemed to me as uh, harsh, in my opinion, than I would have desired to have had heard when I spoke with another sapien of the homo. Yeah, that's right. Here we go. Conversation with Polymarchus, first speaking. <laughs> I perceive, Socrates, that you and your companion are clearly on your way to the city. Socrates, you are not far wrong, I said, Polymachus. But you see, he rejoined, how many we are? Of course. And you are stronger than all these, for if not, you will have to remain where you are. I do say, I would not be enjoying that dialogue with whomever decided to speak with me like that. Let's continue, yeah. May that not be the alternative, I said, that we may persuade you to let us go? Pally Marcus. But you can persuade us if we refuse to listen, he said. Lucan. Certainly not. Then we are not to listen. Of that you may be assured. And Diamantis. Has no one told you of the torch race on horseback in honor of the goddess which will take place in the evening? Socrates got all excited and claimed with horses. Then he continued by inquiring whether or not the humans called horsemen will pass torches to each other during said race. I thought the whole point of a race was to get ahead of the other and not to do anything with them except beat the shit out of them with speed. Pane Marcus indicated that there would be that case of torch handling, which doesn't seem like a race at all. A gathering is indicated to follow after supper for all these dudes, where this is when they are designed, designated to speak with each other. Not like they had much of a choice in the matter, anywho. Off to Palamarcus's house the whole gang went. Lysias was there with Athemidabahubado. Athedemos, yes. Thrasymachus, also known as the Chalcedonian. Then Charmantides, the Paeonian and Cleotophon, the son of Aristonymus, and last but indicated as most importantly was Cephalus, father of Polymarchus, Lysias, and Euthydemus. Cephalus was eager to speak with Socrates. Cephalus complains about how rare he gets to see Socrates and expresses how Socrates should come to see him more often especially since he has very well aged. Like a piece of cheese in my drawer right now, four months old after I bought it. All crystallized and crunchy with all the proteins produced by the damn bacteria. Hmm, yummy do. And the Socrates also gets told that Cephalus doesn't frequent the city and desires more conversations as his body makes it harder to enjoy physical activities. Even though speaking is also a physical activity, and thinking is also a physical activity of your neurons, 
but this is not mentioned and also neglected. Well, I don't think it was neglected. I think they were just eighth men who had no idea. Even though Hippocrates described the brain as like a windbag, blowing, pulsating, sucking in the anuma, magical fluids, and pushing out the magical fluids. Remember that, Void? He was not here, boss. God damn it. Anywho, it was not Numa. No, it was. It was. The four humors. Yep. Back to topic. Socrates claims that he likes nothing more than to talk to old wrinkly men due to their stories and their wisdom, which is acquired by their traveling through their walk in life. At this moment, Socrates asks about the process of having one's body expire. He wanted to know whether it was as terrible as some may say or not. It's safe to say that this is when the philosophy initiates into swinging the pendulum. ha. <laughs> Let's have a quote, shall we? This is the fellas. Men of my age flock together. We are birds of a feather. As the old proverb says, and at our meetings the tale of my acquaintances commonly is, I cannot eat, I cannot drink. The pleasures of youth and love are fled away. There was a good time once, but now that is gone. And life is no longer life. Some complain of the slights which are put upon them by relations. And they will tell you sadly of how many evils their old age is the cause. But to me, Socrates, these complainers seem to blend that which is not really a thought. For if old age were the cause, I too being old, and every other old man would have felt as they do. But this is not my own experience, nor that of others whom I know. Say, Phallus, now you can go away, Gus. You old bastard. Yes, even though you basically said the sensation of living life seems to be non-existence, and I bet you poop your pants. Cephalus continues by quoting Sophocles. Sophocles, yes, Sophocles, about love, showing how little he cares for love. He speaks as if love was a burden upon his wrinkly mind, shackling him from enjoyment of all life's little gifts, like being able to go into a city, use a sauna, and take a dump that is not plopping directly into his shorts, which you cannot do when you have lost all which you said you have lost. You ape man, unless he truly cannot eat, and he is literally starving to death. Something leads me to think this is not the case he is talking about. I think he is talking about eating to such an excess that he passes out. I have read somewhere that some people call it the itis. I do not know what this means, but I have been told that it means something not good. Let's change that, shall we? Itis. Hmm. Inflammation. Itis. Yes, that's what itis is. Inflammation. Inflammation. To the point you're swollen. 
You eat till you're swollen and have been inflamed to the point where you pass out. That is what I think itis should be. Unless if Cephalus is a, a rather rotund individual, I don't think he would have lasted very long not eating at all. And Cephalus is apparently one with lots of money. It's mentioned that some claim that Cephalus's position while being old in Acrosti is due to his wealth. And uh, Cephalus agrees that uh, some people are not convinced that he is a wealth or happy other than with his wealth. Cephalus again. Come back here, Gus. Okay. Hurry up. That's right. You sit right there and you read this right now. The people aren't convinced it is anything other than his wealth. No, not that, you little wrinkle. Oh! Right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get that finger ready to read. You are right. They are not convinced. And there is something in what they say. Not, however, so much as they imagine. Blah, 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 blah. About some story. Cephalus then expresses this right here. Good. Poor man. Yes, they don't have a light burden. While bad rich men. Now stop. Can't have peace with themselves. Yes. Good and bad are both subjected. You can go. You son of a bitch. I tell you what. I'll do what I did with the coronavirus. I will unleash them on you like I did boy. I mean. Oh. oh I got the head on myself. Hmm. Maybe I'm not cut out to be president. Da fooey, I'm better than everybody else. That's why I will make America great, finally. Oh, where were we? Yeah, blah, 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 Cephalus Express, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, even though good and bad are subjective terms. Even if a person does things that are seen as terrible now, perhaps weren't terrible back then, like have slaves. That was acceptable back then, was not seen as bad. What we view terrible now will be uh, not so terrible a few hundred years from now. And some things we think are great or, or okay, right now, a few hundred years from now, will seem terrible. Like, for instance, factory farming already coming along there. Come on, people, speed up. You realize how ridiculous it is to make another being only for the fact of uh, jamming them in there, force-feeding them things they uh, do not really care to eat to the point where they pass out and die, get infected, spread diseases, kind of like coronavirus. And the mere idea of races and cultures being assigned to specific people, emphasis on genders, either for or against implementing anything based on gender and so on and so forth. Even if the person does something that is seen as bad during their lifetime, if a person feels poorly about it, then are they truly bad? Perhaps they did something because at uh, the time they didn't see they had a better choice, but later on they realized what the horrible cost it had and would rather have done it a different way. Does that mean they're bad? I didn't even see a mention of those who are labeled as a bad or poor ape man, but I imagine their life would be more terrifying in the eyes of Cephalus. Let's go on. 
inquiring their ratio of inherited versus their acquired social monetary wealth, Socrates gets an answer from Cephalus of how he acquired some additional when he also had gotten some from his family where it made him halfway between his father and his grandfather meaning that his grandfather had uh, amassed a great amount of wealth where his father had uh, spent some of it and he ended up making some of it back and he would be satisfied if he left a little more than what he had came into this world with. I have yet to read any other books about people receiving their names reflecting their grandfathers when they're the firstborn son, but in this book it indicates that Cephalus had received his grandfather's likeness in the name. But I hope those who call themselves scholars would have read several other mentions in other books other than from Plato himself with this same situation before they came up with such a conclusion or theory. Socrates also mentioned that those acquiring most of their money had spent a large portion of their life making that money, where that uh, those who have inherited money do not seem to care for it as much because they haven't put as much effort into it, which is like a dopaminergic tie which also frees up their mind when they inherit it. While uh, those who have uh, spent their lifetime making the money see it as a secondary thing to always talk about in uh, referencing to items that they have and uh, marveling at how lucky they are for have been able to acquire their money, which is uh, said to be something to make people who have acquired their money in life, well, not very good people to have conversations with, while those who have inherited most of their money, uh, well, have been able to free their mind from the fact of money and spent it on studying and researching and going into lots of things, making them a much more reasonable person to spend time with, much more enjoyable. I would say that this may be the case for many people, but I would not say all of them. No, 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 no. The largest concern is what happens following death of an ape man like Cephalus. Cephalus wonders if the myths of the afterlife were true. He mentioned that it seemed so far away until he became old and when he realized his meninges were just gracing the toilet bowl water when he sat down to release a bower movement just before he started releasing them in his pants. This is why many who are wicked fear the afterlife. Again, I think there's a mixture. Some would surely not believe such murky turkey gobbledygook called the afterlife, which would explain their actions in not caring about having their actions being seen as evil or just. And I would also say that many of those people would be able to rationalize with themselves when they not intentionally did something harmful. People do harmful stuff all the time. You ever see someone get into a car accident? How about someone who got really drunk? and, uh, you know, drove the vehicle into someone else. Hmm, does that make them bad? I would say it makes them a person who made a terrible mistake. Then those people who do a lot of terrible things, intentionally, may not even care at all. So I don't think a lot of them would even care when they get old. Perhaps they have a tried to justify that with themselves and didn't really care, but when they got older they knew how much they didn't really know about the afterlife. I think there's a big mix there. You know, like 30% one way, 10% the other way, 40% another way, and 30% another way. You know, maybe a couple fives and tens in addition. Split a couple of us up. 
There's probably where people have different opinions throughout their life, too. Doesn't mention anything about that. Anywho, Cephalus claims that the good ape man, quote-unquote, never deceives or defrauds a person intentionally or unintentionally. I call bull. I've played cards before. Just because you give people a fake tell so they can read you and then give them a couple of, you know, give them that little bit of information to make them think you have this specific tell and then use that information to get them to not really understand what's going on in your hands later on. Does not mean you're a bad person, it just means you're playing the game well. Hmm. That and what about all the people who are gay? Anywhere from medieval times all the way up to the later portion of the second to twentieth century in places ran by Christendom. Hmm? What about that? They were considered terrible, nasty human people bound to, to hell. I'm certain if you were told that if you felt a certain way, they would chemically castrate you and put you into a torture chamber, you would most certainly lie about that. I know I would. Jeez. This is ridiculous. I would say this is literally retarding the process of philosophy. Yes, I said it. This is how you properly use the word retard. These twisted laws are also which have led to this niggardly situation of people being retarded. Yes, I said that. Because niggardly is nothing more than, a, you know, pain and anguish, suffering. So look that up in the dictionary before you get your panties in a wad in your mouth. And then your breath stinks, and then whenever you speak, the smell of poop permeates. Cephalus also noted that justice is something that people seek to accomplish as they grow weary of past transgressions they have done, seeking the repayment of debts to those who may not be in their right minds. Socrates indicated that he did not agree at all, and gives an explanation that when a person deposits a weapon to someone, when they're in their right mind, but desires that weapon back when they're going mad with rage when they find out that the woman is having sex with the donkey. I will tell you what, do you think it's justice to give that weapon back to him? Some would say yes, some would say no. I personally think no. I think if you're thinking about the outcome, it would be better to have that person think things through and uh, go on with their life without doing something that may have a large impact on their memories. Sapiens of Homo tend to have this moment where they have post-traumatic stress syndrome whenever they kill another person or another animal. Perhaps if the person holding the weapon for their friend who goes mad does not care about the outcomes, perhaps literally it is just just to give it back because that is really theirs. Just give it back. But before I give it back, I want to really talk about this with you, buddy. It seems like you're going to be making a big, bad mistake. Make a nasty no-no. Uh, no, I would like to kill my wife too if I caught her in the shed with the horse. I'll tell you what, that would drive me mad. I would not be able to use her pee hole. You know, you wouldn't be able to go inside that V without feeling like you're a hot dog in the hallway. Nevertheless, there are plenty of other women in D.C. And you could go grab any one of them and do whatever you want with them, as long as it's agreed. 
unless if you're living back in the day with Plato times, where women are literally the slaves of the human world. Hmm. Where was I? Cephalus states that he must leave and tend to the sacrifices in order to kill another creature and use its flesh as something to spill onto the ground and blah 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 rather than eating this flesh and using it as sustenance while wasting that life of another creature as something to give to those mythical creatures of uh, bologna sandwiches so they can have some type of appeasement for the gods for whatever things that he did in his past that he is not happy with himself for. Well, I think that is all in itself unjust. Poor animal. These humans are all twisted in here. And Polymarchus being the heir of the wealth from Cephalus will be the heir of the discourse to continue regarding justice. At this point, the focus goes on to speak about justice. Socrates expresses a desire to know what they what they want they call Simonides had the broke wind with his lips about justice. Polymarchus says, with that the repayment of a debt is just, and in saying so, he appears to me to be right. Socrates disagrees even more assertedly, where he apologizes for doubting the words of a wise and inspired man named Simonides. I am glad Socrates did disagree because he went down the rabbit hole for subjective terms and contradicting beliefs regarding these terms. Kicking a dead horse with the whole weapons to the one who is not in their right mind isn't for the benefit of their friend. Had showed the other concepts believed to be something held by Simonides of one doing good to friends in returning a favor to foes. So if returning a debt of gold if hurts a friend wasn't the just thing to do. Socrates then goes on to show how people sometimes mistake in thinking an enemy to be a bad person when it's just a misunderstanding. While a person held as a friend sometimes shows to be a bad, no-no-doo-doo person head. He gets a refinement out of the definitions of friends and enemies at the Polymarchus. The words along the lines of those who appear to be friends who are only appear to be and not truly once friends are not really friends at all. And those who appear to be enemies sometimes are misunderstood. And this is why making a choice outright benefiting or harming another person based off of perception of one being good and one being bad isn't a wise choice. Going further down this path, Socrates asks what happens to a horse or a dog when it has been harmed, after it has done something like crap on the carpet. Damn scapegoat, they keep on crapping down there in the damn basement. Got to clean that up. Apparently it's not good to kick them for that, doesn't really help them at all. Socrates wanted Polymarchus to see that when a horse or a dog is harmed, that they don't perform any better, but they actually perform worse, which is true. This proves that the act of punishing people who do harm only deepens the propensity for those who did the harm to do more. I would interject at this moment 
because sometimes that is true, while other times it is not. For elaboration, sometimes a person who is harmed after a poor decision will see that as a learning experience and not do that again. Although, considering at the time that a lot of people get their limbs cut off and also get killed for stealing or being accused of stealing, may not be able to recuperate after that sort of harming. So, at this moment, I would say Socrates was pretty much on the head of the nail with his head being the hammer. Once Socrates gets Polymarchus to understand the concept of justice cannot be to perform injustice on those who one thinks are unjust, the nasty stink bug named Thrasymachus becomes the one to define justice, that which is good for the strong. Being this sly dog-eared boy that Socrates was, Socrates shows that one who eats ample amounts of beef to help strengthen themselves after performing gymnastics isn't necessarily good for the other people when they eat the beef when they don't do the gymnastics. Thrasymachus refines his description whilst claiming that Socrates played a dirty, dirty little trick on him by using that point which makes his own belief on justice being something that benefits the strong as ridiculous, which I think is true, because people are strong in many areas and weak in others. For instance, Thrasymachus may be strong in his belief of his belief, but Thrasymachus has proven not to be very strong in being able to logically understand what he's talking about. I may have been foreshadowing the moments to come, but that is all that I can do. Talk and talk and blah blah blah. Well, it's okay, buddy. Who asked you? What you still doing here? I thought I took care of you when I hit myself really hard in the left side. Yeah, but I came back in the right side. Go away. You're not so fun. Yeah? Maybe it's because I'm under a lot of stress. I can't go to the bars for the titties and see women strip for me for money. I can't go to the gym and pump iron. I can't go to a restaurant and make outrageous claims about my dietary needs and watch them try to accomplish them. Well, as you know, you can always do something on your own at home. You can write a book. You can learn how to play an instrument. You can do puzzles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go fuck off. Okay. But I'm saying, it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah? Well, why did someone shoot up high V over some food? That's because some people don't understand how simple and easy it is to not do such. Yeah, you're right. When Thrasymachus refines his uh, argument, he says the laws are made up to define the citizens as just or unjust based on laws. Socrates goes into how sometimes laws made to harm not only the citizens, but also the government as a reaction, means that justice isn't necessarily benefiting what he called the strong, which the strong were said to have been the rulers, the true strong people, making it not necessarily for the strong. And justice, in this sense, is purely subjective because laws are different depending upon the type of government, the type of time, the type of reason. So, we really don't know what Thrasymachus means. Even though he said rulers are the strong, and laws are made to protect the rulers, 
and unjust people are punished and harmed for being unjust because they broke the law, while just people are now praised because they follow the law. Keep that in mind, because Thrasymachus contradicts himself while trying to pretend that he knows what he's talking about. Thrasymachus regards that those who make err in their judgment, like those politicians, are not performing at their optimum levels and not really politicians while doing so, even though to human is to err. Ah, oh, Thrasymachus, you are one flawed character. Plato really did a one hell of a strong man with you. So basically, Thrasymachus is saying those politicians are not really politicians because they made a mistake. Well, yeah, that makes perfect sense, Thrasymachus. Socrates shows that the physician focuses on the weak in health for benefit of the weak, while the shepherd leads the herd to help the herd out. Thrasymachus expresses that this is only to benefit the physician and the shepherd in the end outcome, because if they didn't do that, they wouldn't get paid well. They wouldn't be able to eat and blah, blah, blah. They also wouldn't be able to get more people to come and, you know, purchase their goods or services. Socrates claims that the people don't focus on helping the weaker in those certain areas, then payment, which is really a byproduct of their end result, isn't really the primary goal, because the weaker individuals, this being the herd or the sick person, is really the one that needs to be benefited first, which is the primary goal. At this point, I think Void would say splitting hairs or something fancy, something snazzy. But now I have to rely on something else. Well, that's right. Hey, it's not worth it to make you a lot better. Some monster. Ooh, yeah, I heard this stuff is bad. But everything in moderation, right, people? Here we go. <clears throat> I would like to note I'm not a doctor, but I will say that studies have shown that when sapiens of the Homo consume copious amounts of refined sugar or processed sugar, their immune system gets easily inflamed meaning that viral infections will be a lot more worse if you have sugar. So watch out when you have cough drops because some of them have sugar. Thrasymachus also goes into how those who are unjust are stronger, even though when they are cut, many end up becoming weaker due to the law's infliction upon them, which doesn't really benefit those that he just calls stronger. He also called those who are weak just, and just weak. But also noted that the weaker aren't benefited by justice, like I said at the beginning. This was sadly not pointed out as a logical flaw, because he outright contradicted himself, which makes me wonder how much effort did Plato really put into this book. I mean, they call it ingenious, but he didn't point out that very flaw. You contradicted yourself, Thrasymachus. Does justice really benefit the stronger? While those who break the law are really weak, but those who are unjust are the stronger, which break the laws in order to acquire more because they're stronger. Which one is it? Poor Plato, you just got ousted by someone who is not of your species. Thrasymachus then went into how the unjust always do what they can to achieve more than those who are unjust like themselves and those who are just. 
making those who are unjust very intelligent, while those who are simple-minded are the just, and only do what they can, and only attempt to try to beat the unjust, but will not do so because their mind puts all these roadblocks into how they accomplish what they can. Poor just people, also going into how the just only want to achieve more than the unjust, not caring about the just people. Poor, poor Thrasymachus, so confused. Even though these generalizations are flawed most of the time, Plato was beginning some sort of roots for the concept that not all people are fully one way or the other. He didn't go into great detail along with this. I suspect the primary goal was just to disprove the argument which Thrasymachus has, which I think was fully accomplished in many ways. One way was using an analogy with musicians and physicians. He did this with other professions as well, such as pilots, a.k.a. boat captains, in the earlier portion of this book. Claiming that a good musician isn't trying to outtune their fellow musicians while desiring to play better than those who are ignorant in the art of music playing. In a similar situation with physicians and non-physicians, Socrates even held Thrasymachus' hand to show that musicians are just for they went after what they felt compelled to do, satisfying their mind, while leaving the person who just wanted to accomplish stuff without working hard in the dust, making the unjust person or the non-musician flawed and ignorant and not accomplishing much because they didn't put in the work and effort. They are not fulfilled. Therefore, they are incapable of understanding what really makes life worth living? Well, then when they find that out, when they get Cephalus's age, that's when they start waking up in the middle of the night because of nightmares, because they failed themselves, they failed life, and blah, blah, blah. That is really what I think justice truly is. Alas, there is a problem with this argument about the musicians and physicians because many sapiens of the homo do compete with each other. For example, the battle of the bands. But that has more to do with a sick society with people who have desires to be seen as the best because they have been mentally beaten down in society, being told that they're not good enough unless if they achieve all these accomplishments by society, like education and these little pieces of paper saying they have acquired the good grades and got enough good grades from enough classes that they have these degrees, making them seem so, so worthless without them. Pah. Back to topic. Thrasymachus essentially has a fit, which is one out of several that have occurred prior to this as well. I guess it is to make the appearance of those who think like Thrasymachus to be hot-headed, irrational, and incompetent. Making a statement that those who are unjust always achieve more with money and land. For instance, the unjust will pay less in taxes and will walk away from any agreement that they have had with another person who was just with more money. Socrates whips out his big metaphysical weapon on Thrasymachus, also known as the soul. Like an eye or a horse, when hurt or poorly functioning because of a malignant problem, 
of one or more situations as they perform at their least sufficient state. <laughs> nice touch there with the metaphysical nonsense there, buddy. The soul, which is at conflict with itself, isn't at rest and will work really hard when it's conflicting with itself, arguing in its head going back and forth. Over time it will get worse and worse, like a big crowd of arguments and contradicting beliefs. This is also known as cognitive dissonance. Many people have it. Cognitive dissonance is also something that appears between people when their cognitions disagree. Even though they may see eye to eye in some areas, they will not agree in other areas because they have grown apart to the point where they have all these beliefs contradicting each other. Yes, the dissonance based on cognition. At this point, Thrasymachus is described as a blushing and regretfully accepting conceit. I think the irritation described is attributed to the effect that Thrasymachus spent a few lines on mocking Socrates with not knowing the difference between shepherds and their flock or not appraising those who teach Socrates and so on and so forth. If you really want a breakdown, you can read the book. It's pretty long, but it's good. I also got an audible book from it. It's only like six or seven dollars. I think it's well worth it, but I think it's a little over-the-top acting, but it's all right. Thrasymachus had also told all the people in the room that uh, Socrates would tear their argument to shreds, which is essentially what Socrates did. Hmm. Which isn't a bad thing. It just basically said, hey, I deduced with logic and conceptual continuity that this doesn't match up with that, and also this doesn't match up with all the other parts in reality. Except for the whole soul part. But one could actually rationalize that the soul is one's whole being and desires in their own mental state. I'm also confused as to why Thrasymachus got all worked up over holding a position for dear life as if this whole belief is something that is the best thing that you could ever have. You spent so much time rationalizing, going over the points that you have heard, assuming that those are the only points that anybody could possibly have for justice and saying that they must be wrong when one really thinks about it. If you listen, many people have many different justifications for why they believe something. It's kind of like the adage that there are many ways to skin a cat or many paths to one place. Same idea. Some may like butter toast because they like the crunch and the butter and the salt. Some may like butter toast because they like butter toast. Some may like butter toast because they have a nostalgia to it. Some may like butter toast because they realize that the good fats, when it's a grass-fed butter, omega-3 fatty acids are good for your brain. Some people like butter toast because they realize that this is filling and it's cheaper than other foods. There's many reasons why you could have all those in your head. Ooh, spooky thunder. Nice, I like that. Oh yeah, shake me, baby. Good thing I'm grounded. That is a joke on coronavirus. Ha ha ha. So that's basically the end of the first book. Now on to the second book. Following Thrasymachus' retirement from using the, his noggin for reasoning, making him really ill and tired and 
worked up, needed a little nap, you know, needed to suck his thumb and go away. Glucon made it apparently apparent that he was not satisfied with Socrates' argument, and how apparently there are many things which people have been able to achieve while not being, as the masses would say, just. Glaucon noted that there are certain actions one may take which are for merely their pleasure, harmless little pleasures as a quote. That is, I guess Glaucon doesn't want to give up stroking his Plato. That's a reference to a couple episodes ago. Listen to that if you have not, because you'll understand more of my jo As a matter of fact, go to episode one, blah, 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 work your way up. Then you understand some of what I'm saying to be a little bit more funny. I should tell the announcer to say that at the beginning. Then they wouldn't waste all that time going, huh? Why? What'd he say? What is that? Is that a reference to something? Am I missing some pop culture? No, not pop culture. It's correlation sensation culture. That's right. So, I guess Glaucon doesn't want to give up stroking his Plato. He must have realized sapiens of the homo don't truly go blind, while in itself that is a lie and unjust. While they use that lie to make it seem like stroking a Plato and spraying it all over while you explode is really something just, if you ask me. I think Socrates would have been better off going deeper into pointing out how if something is truly harmless, excluding a person's reaction to knowledge of that which is truly harmless, it is mistakenly called unjust. Much like how people claim a fool to be evil, when it is really people not seeing eye to eye. A lot of things that are called unjust are really just a way of rulers manipulating and controlling the masses. Much like how I will do by seeming to compromise and to help out the planet while implanting a technology into their skin, monitoring their existence, using all their stupid little primitive technologies to look at all the gases to really get down to the science to prove to those sapiens of the homo that the butterfly flapping its wings in the chaos theory is a thing of the past, oversimplifying and making it really easy on the sapien of the homo's mind. Well, if you work really hard and become just, you will see the fact that everything is done by cause and effect. Otherwise, the idea of researching to see why things go the way they are is a complete and utter waste of your homo sapien existence. Two questions were used to inquire along the line of harmless goods, which produce pleasure, but nothing productive comes out of such. I would argue with that. I think stroking your play-doh leads to the production of semen coming out of one's head of their third leg. Anywho, along with another class of goods, such as knowledge and health for the benefit of outcomes and enjoyment, achieved by accomplishing those tasks. This goes into how the psyche feels pleasure from things which accomplishes goals and others which do not. Though Socrates, or rather Plato, didn't go into believing that 
the underlying cause is really dopamine release. This is a nice perception here. They talk about pleasures and they talk about the psyche of the mind where they see them as harmless little pleasures at the moment. But later in life, many sapiens of the Homo have come to find out that they can accomplish these pleasures that are considered harmless while using them to benefit themselves by making money, i.e. sex for money, prostitution, or stripping. Then he said another class, which are like things we don't enjoy doing, but do solely for the things that we achieve by the end of such goals. These would be gymnastics, physician's art, and other trades which allow an individual to acquire money or other goods so they could live their life. I would argue that there is a conflation with the achievements of many of these goods, which allows people to truly enjoy them as they perform the tasks. Some people don't desire to learn unless if it benefits them. I can tell you right now, I think these categories are kind of subjective and ridiculous. Poppycock, balderdash, baloney. Yeah, these quote-unquote classes of goods are all subjective. I, for instance, enjoy lifting weights while I do them, because when I do them, I get to free my mind from all that chatter inside my noggin. It also releases endorphins while I do them because I do them long enough. And I don't find the pleasure in many things that other people do, like eating those nasty concoctions made from this place with the, the big yellow M called the McDonald's. Yeah, a lot of people actually enjoy that food because of MSG. Look that shit up. It's true. You can find out if something has MSG in it when it's called monosodium glutamate or labels MSG and also labels with spices on it. That's damn right. These chemically castrated Frankenstein's monsters which are past as food for many of their acids are considered pleasure. But I disagree with that on a lot of many facts. Some people don't like learning so they're not enjoying and some people try to learn but never really benefit outside of the fact that they learn from that. So, there's a lot of different contradicting facts and situations which disagree with this whole conversation. Seems like it's a big waste of time. Let's go on, shall we? Back to topic. Glucon then asks which class would Socrates place justice? Socrates replies by indicating that the highest class is where he would place justice. Well, isn't that just great? The highest class is where he put justice. Kind of arbitrary if you ask me. Sounds like an opinion that you can elaborate on, please, Socrates. Oh, he does so. He claims that class number two is the highest. Oh, like taking a number two. Or rather, leaving a number two in the toilet. He said it's because you achieve pleasure while achieving results. Oh, kind of like working out, which you placed in the third class, which is something that you do just for the benefits, you buffoon. I mean, you dirty ape man. I honestly would place justice in all of these arbitrary classes if these goods were done with care and enjoyment from all parties that are involved. You want to hear why? I, I can't hear you. Listener, do, do you want to, do you want to hear why, listener? 
Hello? Oh. Damn it, I keep on forgetting this isn't FaceTime or phone talk. Let me try Void again. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice system. I never waited. Four, zero, oh, there's a number. At the tone, please record your message. When you finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Hello, Void. This is Gork. I hope you're okay. I will talk to you later, I hope. Hope everything okay. Yeah, I spoke with Coronavirus. He's a very nasty boo-boo head. And, uh... I think, uh, we can control them somehow, but we got to think about it really, really hard. Anyways, get back to me. Bye! <clears throat> back to topic. Yeah, like I said, a justification is a good reason why one would do something. And if you have pleasure of it, that's another justification. So if you're wholeheartedly lost in the object or the performance that you're doing, that is what I think justice is. Because it's really just something that's not hurting anybody else. At least not initially. I mean, everything hurts in the long run in some way. Depends. But all people involved are in agreement and take pleasure in it. And all right there, I think that would be the closest thing to justice at all. But who am I? I am merely an ape man. That's right. Reading a translated version of Plato's old wrinkly book, Glucon then shows why he doesn't think Socrates truly argued his best with Thrasymachus. He claimed that Thrasymachus thinks those who seek justice find it only in the troublesome class, aka the third class, because it carries reputation and rewards where people doing such tasks must not be completely satisfied with the task unless if they get something out of it. I think that's odd because I think a physician would uh, find some sort of satisfaction in fixing people. You think? Don't you think? And then the more you do it, the more easier it is, and then bam, I can uh, crack your back really easily. Anywho. He believed that Thrasymachus was merely a snake that was hypnotized in that back-and-forth movement, you know, from those old cartoons like the Jungle Book or in the Indiana Jones motion picture. Yeah, being uh, hypnotized by Socrates. And he thinks that uh, Thrasymachus, if was really on point, could have totally argued away better. There are three reasons why Glucon claims that many do these tasks for the wrong quote-unquote reasons. One was the common person's point of view of justice. The second would be a person doing against their own desires because it must be done. Then the third was that the livelihood in comparison with the just and unjust differ where it favors the unjust person for their focus on the benefits. 
Gokhan then told that there was a plethora of individuals he has heard chattering with all these points, with no one disputing them with a satisfactory logic for Glokan's enjoyment. So he expressed a belief that the only person that could possibly do this really well is Socrates himself. Ho 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 ho! Glokan unleashes a fountain of words, claiming such as people only want justice in order to avoid having injustice done to them, even though they have no qualms with performing injustice on anybody else. Sadly, I think this is common amongst the species, especially now, nowadays, you know, many ape beings claim that they need justice when someone has quote-unquote done them wrong by means of punishing those people who did them wrong, which in itself is hypocrisy because it's completely ridiculous or completely contradicting their first beliefs on justice themselves, making it unjustifiable, satisfying their primal ape-man desires so many individuals express that they have. Also, a belief that suffering and justice without being capable of retaliation is merely the reason why they chose the lesser of two evils, which is called justice. Sort of a social agreement among the sapiens of the Homo, which has proven to be different among the various regions and types of people and time. Deeper into this black hole of nonsense, Glocon speaks as if the only reason a just man exists is because he lacks the ability to be unjust for some type of weakness that he has in his own will, and that if he truly had the ability to do the same as the one labeled as unjust, that he would. <clears throat> a story regarding an individual with a less than desirable lot than life trumbles upon a bronze horse, and inside of it has a larger than human body. Like many normal people, that larger-than-human body was then frisked for items that may seem to catch one's eye as something valuable to help fulfill this person with an unsatisfied form of life. He found a ring, ha ha ha. And through the time of this story that Glocon spoke of, this individual found out that when the ring's emblem was turned facing the person's palm, that person became magically invisible. Yes, yes, yes. This marvelous, magical, fictitious, load of horseshit ring was something to prove that anybody who was considered just or unjust would do unjust things because they could get away because they used this doohickey to do whatever they want. Ho, ho, ho. He said the people would be able to sneak into any person's home and have their way with them. Whoa, what a dirty ape-man Glocon must be performing coitus without having anybody saying yes or no. Hmm. Very rude. Filthy man. Anyways, this story is hypothetical nonsense. That's what I claim. I think I would not be doing that. If anything, I might be trying to escape injustice with the ring. But then he claimed that the story of this man who found the ring ended up hooking up with the queen to kill the king and take over the kingdom. And anybody with an ounce of intelligence would do the same. Whoa. And then another story was given saying that one homo sapien named Aeschylus said that if people were to be tortured 
because they were good by being whipped and tied up and having their eyes burnt out that every single man would become unjust just to avoid that injustice done upon them. Well, only difference is that that unjust man was true to himself in their own nature, while the just man only desires to seem such. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Even though, if a man was unjust in today's society, I would bet my meninges that the unjust man would only want to seem just in order to avoid the nonsense of being cut, which is also an argument against what he just said. Socrates sadly did not make this point. I say boulder dash. He could have accomplished so much more, so much quicker. There's also a grocery list, which the unjust man is capable of doing, and he's not sensitive to doing so. He's able to deal and wheel with whomever he desires, having sex with whomever, marrying whomever, killing whomever, and making deals with whomever catches his eye. Meanwhile, the grocery list of the one who is just has a many sensitivities. He's an incapable of ingesting certain moments in time, limiting his items, because he knows indulging upon some of these items will not be good for him in the long, long run. And I made that metaphor up all by myself. I'm an NG stamped that by Gork Mouthed. Check me out on Face Fuck Your Mom Book. That's right. Oh ho ho. That is my name on there too. Let's go back. For some reason, the one without any care on who he dips his stick of action into will be able to accomplish way more because he will go wherever he wants to do whatever he pleases. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. Sometimes those people end up pissing off the wrong person, getting offed, or end up coincidentally being fucked around with by another unjust person. So you never know. While the picky one will be avoiding the unjust situations, in my opinion. But you know, I'm just Gork. Socrates is then described as conceiting. Although I would be willing to do some more mental yoga with this person named Glacon, I think I have a fair shot of stretching this argument into a pretzel and selling it back to that person with a warped perception and showing how their confection is easily inflaming their mind because they have a cognitive dissonance. Anywho. The individual adiamentus then interjects at this point of book two where he thinks another side of the story should be said. But that will be for next week because I have lost track of time and I have spent way too much time doing this. So, next week, stay alive, stay healthy, and vote for Gork. Listen to a scapegoat song. Listen. Yes, yes, yes. I leave in peace. Bye.
process you have for neurological connections. Prenatal atmospheres made it clear it's both of your perceptions. Once you keep this fact in the mind of you, why easy to realize why we have different parts of you? Reflecting only you It's just a fermentation of your neurological brew Oh, we all have convection all currents of the mind Oh, I call them seasons here of the mind Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah.